Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 1st. It was one of those weekends in the professional tennis world where regardless of how much free time you had on your hands, it was damn near impossible to follow every match that unfolded over the past few days. Of course, that feels inevitable in a week when there were five tour-level events on the calendar. Of course, we had the three ATP events in Atlanta, in Kitzbühel, in Umag, the two WTA events in Prague and Warsaw. Anyone would be forgiven if they weren't able to watch every second of every single match that unfolded over the course of the weekend. Thankfully, we know that's our job here at Cracked Rackets as we take it upon ourselves to keep all of you fans that tune in the most informed, best educated fans in the tennis world. As such, we're going to make it a two-mini break Monday for all of you listeners. So much tennis to break down from the past few days. So many takes for me to get off my chest to make it a bit easier for myself, to make things a bit more organized for you listeners. We're going to divide what is our typical Monday recap podcast into two distinct episodes. On this show, I'm going to recap all the WTA action that unfolded over the course of the past few days. Of course, that means a look at the continued success of Caroline Garcia. All of us can recall Garcia as a top 10 player on the WTA tour, as it wasn't that long ago that she was ranked as high as number four in the world back in September of 2018. But of course, things dipped off for Garcia over the past few seasons, and anyone can be forgiven if their play dipped off amidst the pandemic, the 12 to 18-month stretch following March of 2020 when all of us were trying to get our lives together, all of us were trying to figure out how to conduct ourselves amidst this ongoing pandemic. But certainly, Caroline Garcia seems to have refound her rhythm here in 2022. And certainly part of that has been her getting healthy, but the other part is the confidence she continues to play with. As she dealt out Iga Sviantec's first clay court loss of the 2022 season and goes on uh, to win her semifinal and final matches in straight sets to capture the title in Warsaw, of course, for Garcia, her second title here in 2022, second title in the past two months as well. The now 28-year-old Frenchwoman has been exceptional since the start of June, and I want to explain what in particular seems to have clicked for her and why that success seems so translatable to the North American hardcore stretch, why I think she's absolutely a threat to do damage over the course of the next few months. But of course, not just Caroline Garcia, Caroline Garcia, excuse me, that's going to happen at least one more time throughout the course of this podcast. But it wasn't just Caroline Garcia. No, it was players like Anna Bogdan, Jasmine Paolini, lucky loser Katerina Bondel. You know, there were a ton of breakout stories in Warsaw. Certainly, we had the Iga Sviantec loss, and I want to offer a few thoughts, though not many, because if you're reading too far into one Iga Sviantec loss with all due respect, respect who just haven't been paying attention throughout the course of this 2022 season. Honestly, that might be right there. All I have to say on Iga Sviantec's loss. It happens. She played poorly. Good. We get the headline out of the way in the first four minutes of the show. But again, there are other takeaways I'd like to offer from Warsaw to all of you listeners. So we'll talk about that result. And then, of course, we'll talk about what, in my opinion, was the better of our two WTA tournaments on the week. Not that the action in Warsaw was slow, but I thought the action in Prague was exceptional all week long. And of course, it it, it ultimately uh, culminated, there's the word I was looking for, 
it culminated in the first WTA level title for Marie Buzkova. Buzkova, exceptional all week long, does not drop a set on her way to her first tour level title. Of course, you look for Buzkova, straight set victory over a couple of rising stars on the WTA tour. First, it was Linda Naskova uh, in the semifinals, the world junior number two, former junior French Open champion, knocked out six and three by Buzkova. Then it was Potapova, the 0-3 victory in the final. I want to talk about what makes Buzkova such a tough out, why I view her as a litmus test for entry into the WTA top 50, top 35 uh, moving forward, not only at this point of her career, but perhaps over the next decade as well. Could very well see her emerging as a litmus test sort of player. I want to explain why. I also want to explain why, much like with a Carlos Alcaraz loss in the Umag final, much like uh, the Iga Svantec loss in Warsaw, I am not dissuaded by all uh, by the ending of the tournaments for either Naskova or Potapova. Potapova, one of the breakout players in this 2022 season. I'll make the case as for why here on today's show. Offer my thoughts again on all of the action that we saw unfold in Prague. Of course, I alluded to it there in part of my description, but I'm well aware we had action in Umag, in Kitzbühel, in Atlanta on the ATP side. All of that ATP action going to be the subject of our second of two mini break Monday podcasts. Again, so much action. It was a five tournament week. I hope you guys will understand why I've chosen and thus to divide things into two podcasts. Typically, we might just make one mega episode, but can help me keep things organized if I divide things into two today. Not sure why that's the case, but it just is the case, folks. So I hope you'll all bear with me. It's a double content, two podcasts, right? Everyone's happy about that fact. Of course, the reason we're able to do things like spontaneously produce a two mini break Monday sort of day is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who continue to tune in week in, week out. And I'm so grateful for all of you tolerating the constant changing schedule on this mini break podcast feed. Of course, I just spent two phenomenal weeks out in Santa Monica doing some work for T2 and Tennis Channel. Massive thank you to Michael Haston, Gil Gross, Max Rothman, the Rothman family for hosting me and all of the people who made that trip not only possible, but probably the best professional experience of my life to date. Immensely grateful to all of them. Immensely grateful to all of you listeners without whom I would not have had that opportunity come about. So a thank you to all of you that continue to tune in. We'll try to steady the schedule here over the coming weeks as again, there are so many tournaments, so much action for us to follow, not only at the tour level, but of course at the challenger ITF level as well. And This week, the Great Shot Podcast is going to be rocking and rolling. Of course, it already started with our Monday Challenger Recap episode. Shout out, as always, to Cracked Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro for their weekly grind covering everything happening at the Challenger level. You won't find two people more enthusiastic nor more intelligent about everything happening on the Challenger Tour than Damian and Jakob. So be sure to go check out those Monday podcasts on our Great Shot Podcast feed. Of course, this is the week, folks, the long promise. ATP WTA Tears podcast. Let's look at the future. Let's talk about who we think the guaranteed Grand Slam champions over the next decade are of the plethora of young stars we see on tour. We'll talk about those tier one stars. We'll talk about the top 10 players, top 25 players, players we just think have established themselves as being in the mix moving forward over the next decade. We're going to have two fantastic guests to break it down on both the ATP and WTA side. I'm sure all of 
of you listeners can guess who those guests may be, but excited to get into those podcasts this week. I want to get into the stats as well, where things are. So I'm going to do a solo GSP where I talk about who are our win leaders, who are our quarterfinals, most quarterfinals appearance, semifinals appearance, who has the most wins over top 10 players, which top 50 player actually struggles most against top 20, top 50 competition and has just been beating up on lesser players to build up their resume. I want to take a deep dive into the stats. I haven't had the opportunity to nerd out because we've been a bit busy of late, thankfully, here at Cracked Rackets, but it feels like I have a 10-day window here to nerd out before we get back on the road and do some pretty cool things over the course of the next month, which we are very excited to tell all of you listeners about over the course of the coming weeks, but this feels like a nerd out sort of week. So again, I know it's a long intro here. I just wanted, as always here on a Monday, to give all of you listeners a layout of what to expect. Of course, tomorrow, Nate Walrath going to join me for an on-time edition of Tennis Point Tuesday, where we will set the schedule uh, for this week's event, break it all down, talk about the biggest storylines, offer our predictions, our dark horses, and so much more, of course. Speaking of Tennis Point, the last person I have to shout out before we actually get into today's episode are our friends over at Tennis Point who have all the gear you can need to best prepare yourself for the summer tennis grind, whether it be a new racket, new strings. And look, sometimes it is the racket. When I was younger, I used to think, give me any stick and I think I'll play fine. And guess what? When you're playing seven hours a day over the course of a summer, you probably can pick up any racket and your tennis game is going to be fairly similar. But the older you get, the more nuanced Things become in your tennis game, and there's no greater nuance than finding the right racket, finding the right strings, finding those shoes that not only make your feet pop, uh, but of course also offer you that extra half step or that extra level of comfort so that you're not cramping and you know, you're know you not breaking your feet. You're able to play more frequent tennis moving forward. All of these things available to be found out by having a conversation with our friends at Tennis Point. Of course, if you know what you need, it's even simpler. You go to tennis-point.com today. They'll have all the equipment you need at all the lowest prices. When you do inevitably make a purchase, use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. Symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into mini break podcast number one here on a Monday. And let's start with Caroline Garcia, who earns her second title in the past five weeks by ultimately ending up in the winner's circle in Warsaw. Now, I think the buskova Potapova final and all of the action in Prague will have more relevance as we move forward through the rest of this 2022 and honestly the next few WTA seasons because you have players like Buskova, Potapova, Naskova, all 24 years old or younger, all already flashing the sort of success that just makes you think they'll be a part of the narrative moving forward. But we already know the role that Caroline Garcia can play in the narrative on the WTA Tour. Of course, you look for Caroline Garcia who had that break breakthrough is too strong of a word, but had, you know, such a solid stretch through 2017, 2018. And you look for Garcia back in those years. And in 2017, she's 27 or 24, 25 years old. You feel like you're starting to see the prime of someone special. Of course, in that 2017 season, you know, she goes 48 and 22. And at the end of the year, she goes on us after making the quarterfinals in Roland Garros at the start of the year, round of 16 at Wimbledon that year, quarterfinals in Toronto. 
Toronto, you know, she ends the season extraordinarily strong. She, you know, wins the title in Wuhan. She wins the title in Beijing. She gets to the tour finals in Singapore in 2017, where she wins a couple of matches, beats Wozniacki, beats Elena Svitolina before getting knocked out by Venus Williams in the semifinals of the World Tour Finals. Let me say that again. World Tour Finals. She's right there competing with the best of the best in the world. That was just five years ago. And again, a five-year stretch where in 2017, she's 24 years old. In 2022, you know, she's uh, she's 28 years old, turning 29 years old at the end of October. And you would have expected since that 2017-18 breakout stretch, things would have gone better for Caroline Garcia, right? Well, sadly, that wasn't the case. You look for Caroline Garcia, goes 27-27 and 27 in 2019 and had some pockets uh, where she was impressive. Certainly, it looked like May, June, where she won, you know, Strasbourg final and won a Nottingham title. It felt like she had regained her footing, but you look for her in that season, you know, a lot of first round losses or first match exits for her. You look in round of 16, uh, round of 64, round of 32 matches, which are typically your first round matches at smaller events. She goes a combined 14 and 15 overall in those first two rounds of tournaments. Uh, Obviously, you're not going to sustain a top 10 ranking when you're losing that frequently, that early in events. And, you know, again, 2020, she goes 11 and 11, makes a fourth round in Roland Garros, but, you know, only makes one quarterfinal in that abbreviated 2020 season. Of course, last year goes 27 and 26 and, you know, makes two quarterfinals, excuse me, three quarterfinals on the year, one in Parma, one in Lausanne, and then one at the very end of the season in Limogis where it's just like, yeah, that's a nice quarterfinal, but you make a December quarterfinal. How much relevance is that to uh, – that's very irrelevant to the narrative from your season. She's completely flipped the script and just gotten back to her winning ways here in 2022. You look for Caroline Garcia now 27-14 and 14 overall on the year. You know, you look at the quarterfinals she's made. Again, she's played 16 total events, right? Because she's won the two titles, has 14 losses. She's played 16 total events. She's made the quarterfinals in six of them. That's going to get the job done. You look at the WTA stats leaderboard this season, six quarterfinals for her. Uh, That number ranks tied for sixth amongst WTA Tour players. Here are the other players with six quarterfinals this year. Anissa Mova, who by every metric has been a top 10 player this year. Daria Kasakina, semifinalist at Roland Garros, could make an argument. She's been a top 10 player this year. Certainly, you look at the points race, she would be in that conversation. Conteve, top 10 player. Sakari, top 10 player. The only one that surprises you on this list is Sarah Saribas Tormo, who is your 250 superstar, right? The men's equivalent of an Ilya Ivashka, a Benzman Bonzi, a Talon Greek sport. She's just around at every event. You know, that's what Caroline Garcia has done this season. She's reemerged and just put herself in position at every event she's played. And while you look for Caroline Garcia, when you look at the strength of schedule for this season, again, 27 and 14 overall on the year, you look for her overall 18 of those 27 wins have come against players ranked outside the top 50. She's 18 and eight against opponents ranked outside the top 50, but she's nine and six against top 50 players. She's won six in a row 
against top 50 players. And you look at who those wins are over. Yeah, there's a couple cupcakes in there and, you know, a Sasnovich or a, uh, an Alize Cornet who she beats both in three sets. And certainly when you're playing top 50 players, you'd rather play a Cornet and a Sasnovich than a Conteve and a Jabour. But she also has a win over Halep. She also has a win over Pagula. Now she earns this definitive 6-1-1-6-6-4 victory over Iga Sviantek in Warsaw where she just belonged on the level. She just belonged on the court. And while I don't have the unforced error stats on hand to list off to all of you, there's no denying. Iga played very, very poorly in her quarterfinal match against Garcia. The first set, I don't know that Iga was able to extend a a point past 10 balls. And part of that was a credit to Caroline Garcia, who was just swinging freely from both wings, playing as if she said, you know what, I'm playing the world number one. I have been lights out since the start of June. And again, you look for Caroline Garcia since the start of June, where, you know, start of the grass court season. Or you want to just go since the start of Bad Hamburg when she won that grass court title at the end of June. You just want to look for Caroline Garcia over the past month. I mean, a ridiculous, ridiculous 18 and 3 record where she's beaten Andrescu, Radicanu, Srives Tormo, uh, Sviantek, Paulini. Cornet. I mean, those are six legitimate wins in this 18 and three run for uh, Garcia. And again, what was so impressive against Iga Sviantek was how confidently she played at every point of the match. And you look for Caroline Garcia in the match against Sviantek. She, you know, wins 63% of her first serve points, makes 70% of her first serves. She was broken four times. But she was only broken four times. And against Iga Sviantek on a clay court, I cannot emphasize enough how impressive that is. Because, of course, all year long, Iga Sviantek, what has been her moneymaker? Yeah, she's been exceptional serving. And that's her growth as a server has been why she's been able to go from a top five player to the best player on the WTA Tour. But Iga's bread and butter has always been that return of serve. And she was breaking serve over 56% of the time through the end of the clay court season. Not only would that be a WTA to her single season record, it would be a single season record by about 5%. Now she's come back to life a bit. She's at 53.6% now for the season. But again, you're talking about a player who breaks serve half of the time. You look uh, for uh, Caroline Garcia in this match. She served 12 different service games. She held eight of the 12, which is only two thirds of the time. But again, against Iga, now you're in the ball game. When 50% becomes 33%, you're just doing something better. You're giving yourself opportunities to be the aggressor in return games. And I would point back to the 4-5 return game in that third set that really epitomizes the effort Caroline Garcia gave. You know, first point of the set, Iga serves wide to the forehand. Garcia goes big on that forehand. She misses it long. Second point of the set, big backhand return leads to an Iga unforced error, 15 all. Third point of the set, uh, of the game, excuse me. Again, Iga serves out wide to the Caroline Garcia forehand. Again, Caroline Garcia says, I'm going big. Goes big, goes for her opportunity, ultimately misses the ball long. So again, another missed return. It's 30-15, but hey, I'm going for my shots. I'm doing my thing if I'm Caroline Garcia. 30-15 point again, another good return from Garcia draws an error from Sviantek. And again, Sviantek was sloppy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I said in the first four minutes of this podcast, my takeaway for Iga in Warsaw, 
she didn't play well, and it started from the start, even in a 2-1 and victory in her first-round match against Magda Lynette. She just did not play well in Warsaw. She didn't look particularly comfortable moving. It just felt like her forehand was spraying on her. There were a bunch of different things that went wrong for Iga. Garcia capitalized on that fact by keeping the pressure up. And again, after two missed forehand returns for 15-love and 30-15, what happens on the 30-all return for Garcia? She connects on it. She sets up a match point. Now, Iga fights off that first match point. But do side again. Iga keeps testing that Garcia forehand. Garcia connects on the forehand return again. Sets up a second match point. Connects on that match point return that draws an Iga Svantec, uh error. And just like that... Caroline Garcia knocks off the world number one, ends Iga Svantec's 18-match win streak on the clay courts this season. It's just the confidence she's playing with, and she has the sort of top-tier weapons that when she's executing them with confidence, it can overwhelm even an Iga Svantec on a clay court. And you look for Caroline Garcia. Again, 9-6 and six against the top 50, rock solid this year, six quarterfinals for her. She's also number two in hold percentage on the season. 78.6% she's holding. That's above Elena Rybakina. It's above a Sviantek, above a Benchich. The only player she trails is Naomi Osaka. When the only person serving better than you on a season is Naomi Osaka, you're doing something right. Because, of course, Osaka served probably the best serve we've seen of the past decade, maybe the best serve we've seen of the 21st century of anyone not named Serena Williams. And, you know, again, there are other players who would like a cup of coffee in that conversation, but Naomi Osaka certainly is sitting at the dinner table with those other great servers. And right now, Caroline Garcia, again, not necessarily at the slams, but at the 250s, at these other events, she's hanging tough. And just, again, when she's making that first serve, it allows her to play freely off the forehand, off the backhand wing, and the power she can generate off of both of those sides. When she's serving this confidently, it just affords her the freedom to continue to swing freely as a returner. And when she's swinging freely, she ends up connecting. When she ends up connecting, she drops only one set on her way to the title in Warsaw. Of course, that only set she dropped was against Iga Svantec. Now, you look elsewhere in the four other matches she played in total, she was broken four times in elite serving performance and how well she backs that serve up, how comfortable and willing she is moving forward. Of course, you forget as successful as Caroline Garcia has been in singles. And of course, any player that's won multiple WTA tour titles and, you know, has reached a quarterfinal at Grand Slam in singles, a couple of other fourth rounds as well. When you get to number four in the world, you're going to be known for your singles success. Caroline Garcia is a two-time Grand Slam doubles champion, two-time French Open doubles champion. She won the French Open doubles title this year, and that, my friends, gets us full circle. My final point on Caroline Garcia is an endorsement of why, if you're struggling on the ATP or WTA Tour, play some doubles. Just get that spark going. Get a little bit of winning, a little bit of momentum on your side. Garcia wins the 2022 French Open doubles title, again, 18-3. and three. Over the past month, you want to include the two events before that, fine. She's 20-5 and in singles since winning that doubles title. You look for Caroline Garcia now. She's back into the top 35. She's number 32 currently in the WTA rankings. Even better than that in the points race. She's 21st in the points race based primarily off of a month of success. Now, of course, there again were some other things uh, that Garcia did well throughout the course of this 2022 season. Semifinals in Lyon, quarterfinals in Sydney to start the year. She wins a match at the French Open, wins a match at Indian Wells. Those things always help, but 
you can trace this run for Caroline Garcia really back to that run. Again, winning that 2022 French Open titles did wonders for her confidence. And now, dare I say, she's back. And when you look for Caroline Garcia, the success she's had traditionally uh, on hard courts throughout the course of her career, you look for her in tour-level matches on hard courts overall. Caroline Garcia, 161-53. and 53. She's actually struggled on it more than she has on the clay courts, but you look at some of her notable results uh, on the hard courts. Certainly, you know, again, I mentioned that 2017-2018 fall uh, that she has. You look for her at the slams in her career uh, on the hard courts. Actually has never made interesting a round of 16 on a, at a hard court slam. If she's going to keep serving this well, dark horse, absolute dark horse to do some damage. Although I don't know how much longer she's going to remain a dark horse or part of that qualify for that conversation given her run of success. But again, Caroline Garcia, the story of Warsaw. Shout out to the Warsaw crowd who, even after Sviantek was eliminated in the quarterfinals, they continued to show up for the semifinals, continued to show up for the finals. They embraced Caroline Garcia following her upset. And again, you look for Iga in her match against Garcia, you know, she won only 54.9% of her first serve points. That's her second lowest number of the gear, uh, I believe, overall on the season. Yeah, you look for her overall. That is her second lowest number. No, third lowest number. Uh, you have to include a Madison Brangle victory she had. Because, of course, you got to include a Madison Brangle victory that she had. But just, she wasn't comfortable throughout the course of the match. And you could just tell everything was a little bit off. The plus one forehand in particular just sprayed on her over and over again. Guess what? World, even world number ones play poorly from time to time. And with how bold Garcia was playing, the margin for error just wasn't as big as it usually was for Iga, who's still 48-5 and five overall in the season. If you have a complaint, I have no comment uh, for you following that complaint. But of course, shout out to Anna Bogdan, who reaches her first tour-level final since the end of last season, just her second tour-level final overall in her career. It propels her back up to number 75 in the WTA rankings, where now you just have opportunities. You're going to get into the slams. You may even get into the qualifying of Canada, of Cincinnati, and you know, you look for her. She's now 22 and 12 overall on the weekend, has done an excellent job of going, you know, again, mixing in the 125Ks where she's made a couple of quarterfinals, semifinals throughout the course of her season with the WTA level events. You know, again, gets a win under her belt at Wimbledon and then, you know, sticks with the clay courts where she gets a win in Budapest and then you know, doesn't drop a set on her way to the final in Warsaw. And after upsetting Nuria Parizas Diaz in the first round, didn't face another seed the rest of the way, made the most of that fact. I thought served extraordinarily well today. It's just such a tough out physically. Doesn't beat herself, really. Does Bogdan at the same time just couldn't handle the weapons of Caroline Garcia. And, Car- and unfortunately, Bogdan just didn't have the weapons really with the serve to break the rhythm of Garcia. So that match was played entirely on Garcia's terms, a 4-1 victory for the French woman. But again, you look for Bogdan back into the top 70, uh, back into the top 80, which just gives you options in the home stretch of the season. Of course, a shout out to Jasmine Paolini, who's been sneaky solid here this season. Paolini currently 56 in the world is the 26-year-old. Again, rock solid year. I know 16 and 17 overall is the number, but three different quarterfinals for her. Palermo, Warsaw, uh, Lyon as well. 
just, you know, again, smart scheduling decision for her to stay in Europe, play these clay court events, have some success. Two of her three losses during this clay court run were to Caroline Garcia. No shame in those losses to Garcia, who, again, has been exceptional over the course of the past month. Uh, ultimately, I thought a good run for Paulini, who's just sticking around that top 50, putting herself in a position to succeed. The biggest what-if of this tournament it has to be Petra Martic, who's up a set and a break, 6-1-3-2, I believe, on Katarina Bandel, the lucky loser, and just falls apart. And I just don't get Petra Martic matches because there are times when she looks exceptional. She's moving the ball extraordinarily around the court. She's as fit as anyone. And there are times where just the errors pile up and the forehand starts spraying or the backhand just sits incredibly short. Perplexing, as always, remains Martic. That was a good win for Bainville, who obviously reaches her first semifinal uh, at the WTA level in quite a bit of time and now back up to number 133 in the live rankings. With that said, those were my takeaways from Warsaw, and you see now why we had to divide uh, today's podcast into three parts because, again, I want to offer this uh, into two parts, excuse me, because I want to offer this sort of depth on each of these events, and oftentimes I find myself skipping when I get to the end of a mega podcast podcast just due to podcasting fatigue. With that said, no fatigue as we turn towards Prague and a Marie Buskova inaugural title on the WTA Tour. Of course, Buskova has come close at various points of her career. You look for Buskova, reached the final in Guadalajara back in 2019, reached another Guadalajara final earlier this season, finals in Monterey, Phillips Island as well. This time she gets over the finish line and she doesn't drop a set on her way to the title in Prague, a 6-love, six 6-3 six win for her over Potapova. Look, it's been a stellar year for Buzkova, 31-10 overall on the season. Now, there's been some qualifying success. She had to qualify for Madrid, qualify for Indian Wells, qualify for my, my, uh, Miami, qualify for the opening WTA event in Adelaide as well. But guess what? She won all of those qualifying matches, which allowed her to continue to stay competing on the WTA level. And while she'll never have those overwhelming weapons, she will, you know, Marie Buzkova, not that she ever asked, but, you know, the 24-year-old, sadly, will never get, get be granted admission into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Now, she can come hang out there because she's a lovely person, and I feel like everyone in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club would love the presence of a Marie Buzkova. Plus, in Power Tennis Country Club, we need someone to be a hitting partner to extend some rallies. Uh, but she's just the litmus test of what it takes from a physical perspective to be a top 50 player because she is so relentless on the court and she's just not going to beat herself. You look for Buzkova who I think committed one, hit one winner but also had one unforced error in her first set, a six love first set against a Ponopova or again, Naskova clearly had the bigger weapons in that semifinal but what does Buzkova does? Absorb the first strike. Just keep moving Naskova side to side to side extending rallies to the point where Again, physically, these players just wear down a little bit. These players just aren't capable of sustaining the level it takes to compete with a Marie Buzkova, who played Own Jabour extraordinarily close, just wasn't able to manufacture quite enough offense in that Wimbledon quarterfinal earlier this year. And again, you look for Buzkova 31 and 10 overall in the year. Why is she the ultimate litmus test? Well, she's 26 and 4 against players ranked outside the top 50 this year. And by the way, her three losses to non-top 50 players, Kaya Kanepi, who now is in the top 50, Sloan Stevens, who I think we all agree when healthy, is a top 50 player. Beatrice Hadad Maya, 7-6 in the third. Hadad Maya, 
maybe the breakout star of the season firmly in the WTA top 50. The only bad loss was Vivara Gracheva in the Istanbul round of 32, whom she lost to three and five. One bad loss for Marie Buzkova this season. Now, she is only five and six against the top 50. And again, against elite competition, think the, you know, players who either A, can match her physicality, think the Jess Pagulas, the Annette Conteves, the Onjabours of the world, or against players with elite weapons. Think about someone like a Shelby Rogers who knocked her off earlier in the year, uh, Veronica Kudermetova and, uh, you know, and Elena Rabakina. Against those sorts of players, you know, her game can break down because how is she going to manufacture enough offense against them? How is she going to make life easy for herself throughout the course of the likely two and a half hours that she'll be out there on court? You know, these are all legitimate questions when contemplating Marie Buzkova's upside moving forward. But I do think when you look at the rest of the game, again, what's the definitive weakness? Yeah, the serve is not particularly powerful. You could say that about a lot of players. Yeah, you know, the ball will be left short on the service line and it will be attackable for opponents. You could say that about a lot of players. There's just not a definitive weakness. And again, unless you are a Rabakina or a Kudermatova who are, or Rogers, who are top 10 servers on the WTA Tour, unless you have the elite physicality of the Bedosas, the Jabours, the Elisa Mertens who have beaten her this season, it's just a tough out. And I think in the final against Potapova, again, an 0-3 victory for Buzkova, she didn't do anything extraordinary, but she just made the match a, a track meet. She just said, I am not going to miss. And if you are patient enough, fine. Maybe you'll get an opportunity to attack me. But I'm going to bet that the 21-year-old Potapova, the 17-year-old Naskova, would not be patient enough to attack Marie Buzkova. And guess what? In the end, they ultimately weren't. And so, again, massive credit to Buzkova, who I thought played excellent tennis in earning the title in Prague. And, you know, ultimately for her now up to a new career high, number 46 in the live ranking. She's 25th, the 24-year-old Buzkova. 25th in in the points race this year, that's exceptional. And again, she did not drop a set. And now that she is top 50, you just get into whatever main draws you want to play. And, you know, as we look at her calendar, again, so many qualifying matches early in the season. She's not going to have to play any of those qualifying matches next season. She's going to get into main draws. And if you're just not ready to play, Buzkova is going to beat you. Because, again, she does not beat herself, can absorb pace extraordinarily well. Now, again, you look at the record. If you have an elite skill, that's where she can get into some problems. But you have to do something elite if you want to beat Marie Buzkova, who, again, is just the litmus test of what it takes to be a top 50 player on the WTA Tour. And at 24 years old, uh, you feel like the next three, five years, she's just going to be a staple in that top 50. Four years to come. But certainly two players who are going to test her are Anastasia Panapova and Linda Nuss who I spoke about extensively last week, so I'll be brief here. I'm all in on Potapova. It was a terrible matchup for her in Buzkova because, again, for Potapova, it's still a little bit more difficult for her to manufacture attacking opportunities from herself out of nowhere. Great counterpuncher, great at turning defense into offense. If you can absorb her first strike, if you can absorb her cross-court rally tolerance, like as a Marie Buzkova can, you know, what's the next adjustment for her? How is she going to open up court for herself? The short angles or cross-court, cross-court, down-the-line patterns. Does she hit that ball powerfully enough, confidently enough, and with enough discipline on those patterns to create attacking opportunities against elite defenders like a Marie Buzkova, like an Annette Conteve from time to time? You know, I think the answer is yes. 
I do think she has that sort of firepower in her. I love how she's spreading the court with her spot serving now. Uh, of course, that said, I thought the serve let her down a little bit. I thought it just wasn't creating many opportunities for her against Buzkova, who was on top of that baseline, just taking the ball early, getting the ball deep at Potapova's feet. And I mean, Potapova won 37.5% of her first serve points, 23.5% of her second serve points. Look, it's an 0-3 loss. Things aren't going to go well from a numbers perspective ever. But certainly, again, manufacturing things easy for herself because she flashes the plus one power, the baseline power to do so, but growing more comfortable in those plays behind the serve, obviously, 21 years old, she's got plenty of time to do it, but that's the next step for her. And look, for Noskova, 6-3, and three, she was taking advantage and being patient enough and having opportunities to take advantage of the short balls Buzkova was providing her, just ultimately wasn't quite able to generate them with enough consistency. But guess what? That consistency, that physicality, that's coming in the next three to five years for Noskova, who with her run now, uh, Linda Noskova, currently uh, number 91 is the 17-year-old in the in the in the WTA rankings. Number 91. You look at the players under the age of 18 right now in the WTA rankings. Naskova is your highest ranked under 18-year-old in the WTA rankings. A testament to her talent. Of course, you look at the players ranked under the age of 22. Potapova, who's at a new career high, number 47 in the live rankings. The sixth highest ranked player age 22 or younger. The only players above her, Sviantek, slam champion. Radakanu, slam champion. Goff, slam finalist. Fernandez, slam finalist, Anisimova, slam semifinalist. Pretty good group. Pretty good group to find yourself amongst, no doubt. By the way, Noskova 15th on that list, even when you extend the age up to under 22-year-olds. So there is a plethora, currently 15 players under the age of 22 inside the WTA Top 100. And again, I want to dive into those stats, talk all about that, nerd out a bit with you Cracked Rackets fans later this week. So we will plan on doing that for all of you throughout the course of the next week, whether it be on our Great Shunt podcast, which I'm going to do a stat-centric pod later this week, a little solo. We'll have mini break podcast for you as well, breaking down all the stats. I'll be joined, of course, as always tomorrow by my buddy, Nate Walrath, to talk about this week's plethora of tour-level events, talk about our predictions, talk about the storylines we're monitoring. It's a jam-packed week here at Crack Rackets as we plan to keep all of you the most educated, best informed fans in the business. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.